Blog Talk Radio. Well, bless you, my father's children. I, this is Pastor Winfred Burns, and I'm running just a few minutes late because I had some technical different difficulties, and I'm trying to get all set up and not be flustered while I'm doing it. And, and let me tell you something. Uh, sometimes I need an engineer. And my son, he, you know, he doesn't understand that this this one-man show thing is not good. But anyway, uh, welcome, family, and Happy New Year. And I hope that this is the only time that I have to... Um, that I have to that I, that I have to be like this all over the place, so to speak. Anyway, um, tonight we begin a new study, and in beginning the new study, we also I'm trying to, as you can see, I'm kind of fiddling just a little bit. Give me a second, because I'm trying to put all my stuff together. And I, I was in here early enough to get this done until I walked into these technical difficulties, and now I'm just trying to get things propped up and fixed up and set up and everything there. Hopefully this will stand up for me. Ooh, this is not working so good yet. Just give me a second. Everybody give me a second because we're going to, this is, I shall not be defeated. Oh, okay, stop it, you. Stop it, Periscope. There we go. Now. Okay, so we got Periscope together, we got um, Blog Talk together, and now here I am. Well, now that I'm all comfortably ensconced in everything, let's let's um, let me first start out by uh, praying that each of you ha- are having a happy and prosperous new year, and that uh, the holidays were very very good to you. They were good to me. Um, and so, you know, and I'm back and ready to start another series, and we're ready to pick up at Second Samuel. Um, before we go any further with all of this, you know, everything that's going on in terms of these technical difficulties, um, let's stop and have a word of prayer. Let's settle things down because I know this must be a great study because, tell you what, it's whooping me right now. Okay, eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you. We bless you and we praise you for you are good and your mercy endures forever. We thank you, God, for allowing us to come into a new year, a year that wasn't promised. We left a lot of folk behind in 2016. There were a lot that came to be with you. And we thank you for them. We remember them even right now. And now, oh God, we ask that that you would bless us as we go forward to do your work and your will. We bless you, O oh Father, because you are good and your mercy endures forever. We bless you, O oh Father, because you are our Father and we just love blessing you. Now, Father, let your word penetrate our hearts and minds as we seek to go forward in unity. We thank you for the word that you left for us to study. We praise you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, as I've always done, I want to remind you that if you're not saved and you don't have a relationship with God, if you've never stepped up and received the gift that God has given you, uh, the forgiveness of sins and eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, I encourage you tonight to do that. I encourage you tonight to accept Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior. What does that mean? That means that you recognize that Jesus died for your sins and that because of his death, your sins are forgiven. What else does it mean? It means that if you, if you really believe that in your heart, that you'll confess it with your mouth right now and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And you'll go even further and you'll say, and I ask him to be my Savior. And you'll go even a step further and you'll say, I turn away 
from the things that I was doing, the way that I was going. And I now turn toward God and ask him to lead me and guide me. You know, that's that's that that's fancy that's a that's a uncomplicated word to say, I repent of my sins. That's all you're doing. And I want God and I want you to lead me and guide me. And I'm if you do that, if you confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you turn from your sins now and turning from your sins doesn't mean that you're gonna you know, all of a sudden if you were if you were um just a, a habitual liar or something. I don't mean a lying will get out every once in a blue moon. It means that you're going to not practice those things anymore. Whatever the, the, ever the sins that have you, you stop practicing them and you start practicing how to please God, how to walk with him. That's what it means. So, again, if, and then after you've done that, if you do that, then the next thing I want you to do is I want you to find you a church I want you to find your Christian, and you go tell them that. Look, I prayed, and I, I, I believe that Jesus is my, the Son of God, and I've asked Him, you know, um, to to forgive me my sins, and I'm, I'm now saved, and now I need to figure, now I need to know what I do next. That's all. That's as simple as that. And there's a Christian out there. There's a church pastor. There's a church somewhere around you that God is going to lead you to go to, and you tell them just what I told you just now, and I guarantee you that they will welcome you, that they'll say, okay, let's get at it. Let, let me show you. And they'll, t- they'll, they'll make salvation even plainer than I have made it. They'll spend some time with you and help you in your walk with God. And even more than that, guess what? God himself is going to join in, and He's going because cl- he claims you as his child, and he's going to show you some stuff. So with that said, let's move into tonight's lesson. Now tonight... We're moving into Second Samuel, and we finished First Samuel back in December, and now it's time to move on to Second Samuel. And I want to get, tonight. I want to spend just a few seconds, just broad stroking the book. I mean, just painting the book in big, big, big strokes. And then what I want to do after that is I want to begin to take apart Chapter One. I want to introduce a theme that we'll be that we'll be covering probably for the next uh, five six weeks, and I think that it's a theme that's going to really really bless you because Second Samuel, the first part of it, is all about unity, how God desires unity, uh, and how this unified nation will now begin to ascend to new heights. I believe God is saying something to us as we walk through this first, this, this first part. And I, I think what I'm hearing him say to us as we take this book apart is that in 2017, if we really want to prosper, if we really want to defeat the enemy, it's going to take unity. Now remember, remember, if you will, uh, because because this, if in the setting that we're in right now, uh, the nation has not come together yet. They're still scattered. They've had a king. They've had a king, but they're disjointed. They're still disjointed. Um, and part of the problem with them being disjointed is because they um oh I'm looking at my, I'm doing too too many things at once as usual. Let me do this again. Okay, there it is. See this this is like okay I'm I'm back I'm sorry. Um, part of the problem with them being disjointed is their leadership. Remember, they're still Israel is still under the leadership of Saul, and as we exited the the uh, first Samuel, we saw that Saul had died. And you know, when there's a vacuum of leadership at the top, you know what happens? More confusion is, comes in, 
And not only is that a problem that we're seeing in this first chapter, but also what we see is we see a defeated nation. Remember, Saul and Saul had, uh, the, uh, was fighting the Philistines when he got killed, and when they when 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 all of a sudden they, they, they uh, the Philistines won the battle, Saul commits suicide. That Israel scattered. There was confusion everywhere. So, in this study, the first thing that I want us to do is I want uh, the purpose of this study and of Second uh, Samuel is number one. What we want to do is we want to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us collectively as a body and individually due to our individual relationships with him. And then we want to do more than just hear. We want to do. We want to be doers of this word. So as we as we teach tonight and as we teach over the, uh, the, the following weeks, what we really want you doing is we want you to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. And then we want you to go do it. And the things that the Holy Spirit will be saying to you is, are, are things that you need to do to bring unity into your church into your home, into your life. Because it's time out for all the confusion. It's time out for the enemy overrunning us. It's time out for us being defeated. It's time for us to get victory. And the way we get victory is through unity, through obeying God. So many of us have our own personal agendas. And one of the things that we saw when we were looking at 1 Samuel is that Saul's personal agenda led to him being losing his kingdom and led to him dying. It was his flesh. It was his willfulness. It was his my way or the highway mentality that caused him to ignore the things of God and focus in on what he wanted and how he thought the king should be. Unity is so important to us, especially in 2017, that I believe that this is the reason why God has us and you in this study, so you can see how to become as one. What we'll see in part one is that we'll see how God brings David, the leader, into the forefront of the kingdom, how he brings him finally he pro it was prophesied that he would be king. He was anointed king, and now in first, in first Samuel or second Samuel rather, we will see David finally ascend to the throne. The second thing that we'll see is that he'll bring the people together and unite those scattered tribes as one nation. The third thing we'll see is that united, they will finally defeat the enemy and take control of the promise that God gave them when they entered into the promised land. They have What we don't realize is that God left those enemies in that land to test them, to test their faithfulness to him. And after Joshua steps off the scene, all through the judges' time period, all through 1 Samuel under Saul and and, and and Eli, as well as uh, Samuel, Eli, and Date, uh, excuse me, and Saul, all during that times, the people were still not faithful. They received, as a matter of fact, remember when we talked about uh, the cycle that we saw in Judges, how um, they would commit apostasy, they would go into bondage, they would cry out to God. God would send a deliverer, they would have peace for a little while, and then they'd start that cycle all over again. Well, we saw that cycle still in force under Saul. And see, God is a covenant-keeping God. And the problem that a lot of us have is that, uh, or, or they had, is that they don't understand when God makes a deal with you, he's going to keep his end of the deal. <laughs> 
And his end of the deal is blessings and cursings under the law. Notice I said under the law. Okay? Under the law. I'm very specific with that because grace works differently. But when they agreed with the, with the covenant that God gave them at Sinai and the blood was sprinkled upon them by Moses, what did they say? All that you say do will do. And then they come back and Moses tells them, look, you do it, blessed in the city, blessed in the field. But if you don't do it, if you violate the covenant agreement, then you're going to have some problems. And all these curses will come upon you. All this sickness will come upon you. The enemy will overtake you. You'll be a laughing stock the whole nine yards. And so because they have not adhered to the, the word of God, because they violated the covenant, then the covenant curses kicked in. Now, so we'll see that once they begin to live, the way God wants them to live. And one of the things that God had, had planned for them anyway was to be a unified nation. While they were in the desert, they were learning how to walk together and follow God. Go back and read in Exodus how they marched through the, land, marched through the desert. All it was was an exercise on how to walk together as one. I know some of the parts of, of Deuteronomy and Exodus and Leviticus are very, very boring, but all those books tell us is how God wants us to walk together as one. Even down to the way they encamped. Judah had a spot. Issachar had a spot. Benjamin had a spot. There was, God specified exactly how he even wanted them to walk together as a body. So, with that said, I want us to focus on the unity. I want us to focus on unity um, Today, I've got a new tablet here, and I'm trying to get away from paper, and I'm not good at it. I haven't, I haven't figured this tablet thing out yet, but I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. The first thing I want us to do is I want, you know, you, sometimes we think that this uh, unity thing is merely for uh, the Old Testament people. And sometimes we think that it's New Testament because people, and especially in a Western civilization like we live in in the United States, that we have freedom of choice in everything and we can do our own thing. That every decision that we make, uh, we make it on our own without considering the consequences or not the consequences, but what God wants. The key demand for us is unity. And I know I'm sounding a little scattered tonight. Don't worry about it. I'll, I'll get it together. I'm just, I started out a little flustered because of technology, and technology keeps me flustered right now. But I'm going to get there. I want you to turn to John chapter, chapter 17. Turn to John 17. And I want, you, I, I want you to see what God desires for his people. God, God desired it so much that Jesus prayed for us to be one. It says, John chapter 17, and I'm going to start reading at just verse 20. It says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through, through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may, may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So Jesus prays that we would be one with him. And just as he and the Father are one. And if we are one with him, we're also to be one with each other. You see, there is no way that we as a church, that a family, that can, can, 
can really prosper, can really defeat the enemy if we don't come together as one. When, what, is, what does the word say? A house divided against itself cannot stand. And I think one of the things that God is calling us towards this year is to come together so we can stand. And it begins first with the individual, and then secondly it begins, with the, it, it continues to the family, and then it goes to our church. To the, to the body. And I'm going to be stressing that over the next couple of weeks because I'll tell you what, we are not going to win in our generation if we continue to be divided. Your house will never prosper as long as there is division. And it starts at the top. It starts at the top. It begins with you, and it begins with the order that God wants us to have in our houses. And so I want us to just pay real attention to that. we got to stop doing our own thing and start doing the thing that God would have us to do, come as one. Look, a prayer life, a prayer life is not as powerful as it could be. Why? Because we're not coming together to pray. What does it it say? Again, uh, Matthew 18, 19. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Paul writes to the Corinthians, or excuse me, to the Romans, and he says this, because sometimes we think that, um, that we all have to be the same to be in agreement. No. We have different functions. We just need to agree with the agenda of God and follow the leadership of the men and women of God who have been anointed and placed in our lives to lead us and to help us find our positions in the body to go forward. For just as each of you has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same, have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. That's Romans twelve four and five. And note, if you go up up to Romans uh, twelve one, you know what that says. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices holy and acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable service. It begins with the submission. And then once we submit ourselves, and and then God places us where he wants us at, and we submit to that placement. But too often, uh, if, if, and I'll just use this as a random example, too often if, you know, we don't want to, if we think we should be the deacon and, and God has assigned us to sing in the choir or be on the usher board or be on a cleaning crew or something like that. We think, no, I want to be this. God didn't place you there. And there's a reason why he didn't place you there. Because that's not your place of blessing. Forget about the fact that it's not your place of gifting. It's just not the place that he wants you, you to bless the body. He puts us in positions to be blessings. So whatever assignment you have, hey, okay, what it is, play that role. Because whatever role you're in, you are an obedient servant and you're a blessing. Amen. I didn't mean to go that long on this. So the, the point I'm trying to make is that unity is necessary. Unity is called for. Unity is what Christ prayed for, that we be one. And when we are in our place, when we're walking as one, God is in the midst of us. What does he say? Where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'll be in the middle of them. I'll be in the midst of them. You see, and so we want God in our midst. God is not going to come into a confusing situation. You want God in your home? Get the confusion out. You and your husband get together and say, you know what? We finna, be, we finna do this thing together. We're doing it together. Go to your kids. If, you, if you're a single mom, a single dad, and you, and you go in one direction, your kids go in the other, hey, put the foot down and say, no, 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 no. We're following God in the conversation. 
This is the way we're going. Do one of them Joshua moves. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? So with that, let's get into it. Remember where we are when we open this book up, that in 2 Samuel, oh, this thing is about to bother me. See, when you get, just as I'm reading it, it just flash off, and I don't know, I'm trying to figure out how this thing worked like that. Uh, I don't know, oh, there it is. Push that button right there, push that button right there. I like my paper. I'm trying to get away from my paper, but I'm sorry, but, you know, this, this, this thing, my paper don't blink out on me like this stuff does. This, this, these iPads and all of that that you young folks mess around with, they messing with me. Okay, so here it is. Now, the first thing that we want to remind you of is that we're still in a chaotic situation. The Philistines have defeated and scattered Israel. Saul has been judged. The nation is without a king. Israel is living under a covenant curse. Let's turn to the, the particular part of the covenant curse that they're living under right there. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 25. Go right there. Because, uh, you know, remember that they just fought on Mount Gilboa, and in fighting on Mount Gilboa, they lost, and they ran. They ran. And look at what God told them in terms of what he would do if they, if they, if, if they didn't obey the covenant that they agreed to. Because they agreed to this. Deuteronomy chapter 28. I'm going to get there. Verse 25. I just want this one piece. It says, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will come at them from one direction, but flee from them in seven, and you will become a thing of horror to all the kingdoms on the earth. Now, if you read from 15 on, if you start at 15, there's a whole lot of stuff that we don't want to be bothered with. Israel is living under the covenant curse. Now, let's situate. Saul's dead. David is down in Ziklag, having come back from recovering all of the stuff that was stolen from him. But when he comes back to Ziklag, he doesn't come back to Everything is everything being as normal. No, when he comes back to Ziklag, guess what? Remember, they had ransacked the village, burned it down, burned his town down, and now he's coming back and he's in the process of repairing the city and he's concerned about what's going on with Saul and Israel. And that's where we want to pick up at. So turn in your Bibles. It took me a while to get here, didn't it? Turn in your Bibles to Second um, Samuel chapter 1. That should be easy, but I'm thinking and going a mile a minute. Ooh. But, I'm, I'm, but I'm having fun. I'm having fun. I'll get used to all of this technology. Take me a couple of weeks. We don't, I'm going to fumble for eh, maybe two more weeks, and then all of a sudden I'm, I'm going to look like one of those, those guys on the – on um, television that read the news and stuff. I'll be smooth with this stuff. I'm going to start reading. So I, so I turned the first Samuel instead of the second Samuel. Isn't that something? Come on, Winfred. Get it together, son. Here we go. I'll start reading at verse 1. After the death of Saul, David returned from defeating the Amalekites and stayed in Ziklag two days. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and with dust on his head. When he came to David, he fell to the ground to pay him honor. Where have you come from, David asked him. He answered, I have escaped from the Israelite camp. What happened, David asked me. Tell me, he said. The men fled from the battle. Many of them fell and died, and Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. Then David said to the young man who brought him the report, How do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? I happened to be on Mount Geboa, the young man said, and there was Saul leaning on his spear 
with the chariots and riders almost upon him. When he turned around and saw me, he called out to me, and I said, What can I do? He asked me, Who are you? And Amalekite, I answered. Then he said to me, Stand over me and kill me. I am in the throes of death, but I'm still alive. So I stood over him and killed him, because I knew that after he had fallen, he could not survive. And I took the crown that was on his head and the band on his arm, and I brought them here to my Lord. Then David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. They mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the army of the Lord and the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. David said to the young man who brought him the report, Where are you from? I am the son of an alien and a Malachite, he answered. David asked him, why were you not afraid to lift up your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of his men and said, go strike him down. So he struck him down, and he died. For David had said to him, your blood be on your own head. Your own mouth testified against you when you said, I killed the Lord's anointed. Wow. So the, the, uh, the young Amalekite boy comes into a camp that has been burned down by the Amalekites, thinking that he was going to give David some good news that his arch enemy, Saul, was dead. And he thought that he would be rewarded for it. But look at David's response. David and all of his men began to mourn. They began to fast because their hearts were grieved. Isn't that a strange reaction from a man who has been literally hounded for years and years by a criminal king. If one of your enemies had got what looks like his or her comeuppance, would you begin to just cry for them and weep over them? I don't know about you, but if somebody had done me wrong, it would be difficult for me to be sad, that sad for them if I didn't know that that person really wasn't my enemy, that that person was God's chosen for that time. If what, saw, what makes David weep is that the enemies of God have caused, have afflicted his brothers and sisters. Israel was a family, regardless of how they acted. Israel was meant to be one, regardless of what they did. And David, who has a heart for God, also has shown us throughout 1 Samuel that he also has a heart for God's people. And he also has a heart, you know about the connection that he had with Jonathan, but you also know about the devotion that he exhibited towards Saul, even when Saul was acting a fool. Even as Saul tried to pin him to the wall, his heart was always for, his was a heart of obedience towards God. Because he trusted that, look, God put this man here. I don't know what I've done, but God put him here, and I want to honor him in his position. 
And so because he, he loved him enough to honor him, David's heart is literally broken when he knows what's happening to his people. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. What is your response? What would have been your response? What should be your response? What does David's actions teach us concerning those around us? You know, we're told in, in Scripture that we ought to be more concerned about other folks than we are for ourselves. We're told in scriptures that we should love our neighbor as ourselves, that our desires for them should be the same thing that we desire for ourselves. And one of the things that keeps us from being united as one is our inability to care about what is happening to our brothers and sisters, what our actions and attitudes mean to those who are without. When the enemy comes and gets anybody, it ought to grieve us. It ought to grieve us to us. It ought to put us in a position of, of, of where we are bowing down before the Lord and in the seating. In death, look at what David does and how he feels about not just the man Saul, not just Jonathan, but for Israel. Because these are the things of God. These are the people of God. They don't rejoice. What's that going to make you do tomorrow? Well, I'll tell you what it does for me. It makes me look at my brothers and my sisters and say, you know what, I, I have a responsibility to love you. I have a responsibility not to to let the enemy be, get, get between me and you. I can't rejoice when you're losing, even if you have ticked me off. David puts all of that stuff to the side, and he begins to weep. Let's go further in this. The second thing that that we see is that The Amalekite, the Amalekite comes and he thinks that he is about to be rewarded. He shows up with Saul's crown and the, Saul's armband and reports that I'm the one that killed him. That boy was crazy. He hadn't thought that thing out at all. The Amalekites burned David's. David's Ziklag down. The Amalekites were enemies that David was destroying. Okay. They raided. They raided. Um. They raided his 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 um his village Ziklag, and David went after him and just destroyed them. This Amalekite was a slave in Israel. Furthermore, he claimed to have killed Saul. He claimed to kill a fellow Israelite. Come on now. That wasn't smart, was it? The one thing that, and, and he thinks that because David was the enemy of Saul, that David's gonna be happy. I'm gonna put it I'm gonna put it where you can reach it. So you and one of your sisters or brothers in your family been fighting. Okay? Y'all been fighting. You know how we in families we fight. You know we do. When we were little kids, we would, you know, hit each other and all that kind of stuff. And when we now that we grown, we do even worse. But you and one of them are fighting. And all of a sudden, somebody beat your sister up or somebody beat your brother up, and then they come to you, and they got the pocketbook or they got the shoes or they got something that they took from your brother or your sister, and they come to you bragging, yeah, I just whooped your brothers behind, and I took your stuff from them. See, I got it right here. I'm going to give it to you. That should make you happy because I beat your brother. What's getting ready to happen to that dude? 
What's going to happen to them? Oh, you know we ain't taking none. We, we can fight each other. Yes, we will. We, we, you know, we got, we, I can fuss and argue with all of my brothers and sisters, but you better not do nothing to them. And that needs to be our attitude within the church. Yeah, we're going to disagree from time to time. But we're not letting nobody from the outside come in and jump our brother or our sister. Take it on a spiritual plane. Now, I might disagree with you, but you let me see you in trouble and the enemy attacking you. Let me see the devil trying to dog you out or pull you into a position or, or do something to you. Oh, we got to go to war. I got to get out on my knees. I got to begin to intercede for you. I ain't telling God on you. I'm telling God about your situation, and I'm interceding, and I'm pleading, and I'm saying, no, 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 God, we can't go like that. We can't let the devil do this. We can't let the devil call disunity in our church. You see, this is if we ever want to come together as one, we have to stop siding with the devil in your home. Stop siding with the devil against your wife. The devil tell you something about your wife? Guess what? You rebuke him and you lift your wife up in prayer. You rebuke the devil. You lift your husband up. You lift your children up. You lift your pastors up. You lift your church up. Don't get with the devil and say, yeah, you're so right, and blah, 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 and add on and pile on and try to curse them and hold them back and mess them up. Yeah. If we're going to have unity in the church, then we have to start looking out for each other and, as they say, and rebuking the devil and stop receiving his lying testimony. We know this boy lying because we, we saw in the previous chapter what Saul did. Saul fell on his sword and killed himself. So how does this boy get 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 the crown and get the armband? He was no, he was the equivalent of a grave robber. While Saul is strewn out on the battlefield and everybody and everybody's still fighting and perhaps the Philistines are in pursuit of the Philistine warriors are in pursuit of of the Israelites as they're running and retreating. This guy coming along and he picking up stuff. He he he. he in the dead, and he just so happened to come up on Saul, dead already, sees his stuff and says, ooh, look what I done found. Oh, I'm going to make some money off this. That's what he thought. He thought he hadn't got the, the as, they say, as they say back in the hood, he thought he had hit the mother load. And he didn't. Because he wasn't, he didn't understand who he was dealing with. He was dealing with a man after God's own heart. And the thing that we can learn from David here is that we have to care more for others and promote and making sure that of their well-being than we do for ourselves. We have to stop listening to the enemy and have a heart like David, a heart for his brothers and sisters. Do you have a heart for your brothers and sisters in Christ? God has a heart for them, and that's the heart he wants you to have. Do you have a heart for your family? Or are you upset with them because they ain't doing what you want them to do? Kids not going into the professions that you want them to go into. Their grades aren't as good as you want them to be. You know, I had this thing with my kids where I, I you know, I tease them from time to time because they never brought got me one of them bumper stickers that says, I, my, "My son, my son, and my daughter is an honor student." Even though they were honor students, they just wouldn't, you know, they they wouldn't they wouldn't perform. And when they didn't perform, that those little kind of things are kind of you know, those aren't important. If your son come home and he's doing the best he can and he bring you a course book full of D's, you ought to still love him and you ought to say, okay, we're going to work these D's up. And if he never gets anything better than a D, you don't, you don't get with the devil and start calling him a dummy and blah, 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 blah. No, uh-uh. Oh, don't do that. 
And you know what? That's for somebody tonight because somebody's doing that. Somebody beating their kids down because because the devil's telling them some stuff. No, I love your kids. Work with them. Everybody is not going to be a genius. And I believe that if you begin to really, really look at your child, you'll see that he is a genius. Maybe not in mathematics or history or something like that, but he could be a genius in other things. He could be a mechanical wizard. He could be an artist of artists. He could be a, the musician of musicians. But because, and, you, and you're killing him or you're killing her because they're not like or don't, don't compete in, a, in, in the arena that you want them to compete in. Stop that. Love that child. Love that child right into his or her gifting. Take that pressure off of them. Yeah, yeah, they got to they got to meet certain standards and certain minimums in school. Help them meet the minimum, but then maximize them. Let them help them maximize themselves in the other areas of their gifting. That's for somebody. That's not in my notes. That's that's free. That was free tonight. Now I want you to see what the reward what the reward for the enemy was from David. David said, kill him. Kill him because he's violated the Lord's anointed. That's what that guy got. He got you know, the, the Bible tells us you get an eye for an eye. And he killed the king, and he died for it. Let's go a little further. He then, after he deals with this young boy, David begins to worship God and thank God and thank God for Saul and Jonathan. Listen to the lament. I'm at verse 17. David took up this lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan and ordered that the men of Judah be taught this lament of the bow. It is written, written in the book of Jasher. Your glory, O Israel, lies slain on your heights. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines be glad. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised rejoice. O mountains of Gilboa. May you have neither dew nor rain, nor fields that yield offerings of grain. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul, no longer rubbed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the flesh of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back. The sword of Saul did not return unsatisfied. Saul and Jonathan. In life they were loved and gracious, and in death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and finery, who adorned your garments with ornaments of gold. How the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of a woman. How the mighty have fallen. The weapons of war have perished. He ordered that song to be taught. He wrote that song, that song of of praise for his king, for his brother. How and if did you notice that that if you had to put a title to that song, the title of that song would have been How the Mighty Have Fallen. How he reiterates that over and over. He saw Saul the mighty king of Israel. He saw Jonathan, his son, as the mighty of Israel. 
He saw them as the ones anointed to go out and protect, the ones who are anointed to go out and defend. Never in this, this, this song of praise and remembrance to his king and to his brother does he talk about the mistreatment that he received at the hands of the king because he saw the king for what God meant for the king to be. And he wanted the king to be honored. He goes and he shows how he really feels as he pins this song. He shows us his heart that he doesn't have the selfish heart of King Saul. He shows us that his is a heart that only longs to see God glorified in the lives of his people. And God has not been glorified because his people are now scattered, dead, and living in defeat and fear. The results of us not coming together as one, not aligning, submitting ourselves within our homes and with, on our jobs and, and in our churches to our pastors and leadership, is death, destruction, defeat, disunity. Divorce rampant. Why? Because we refuse to walk as one as the Lord has told us to do. We refuse to get ourselves in order, in the order of God. We refuse in the house of God. That's why we jump from church to church and eventually just say, you know what, I've had enough, I ain't going back no more. Because we refuse to submit and get in the order of God. That's something. And that's what we're seeing in this first chapter. We're seeing a man who refuses, refuses, to give in to the devil. He has not given in to his emotions concerning Saul. Now think about this for a second. This man, Saul ran David all over Israel, all the way down into the enemy's camp. And Saul said, you know what? Because with all the extraordinary things that God was doing, with all the supernatural works that God was doing in David's life, it would have been easy for, for David to think, you know what, I can beat this guy. But he said, no, I can't lift a hand against him. I'm not going to fight with my brothers. I won't do that. Can we love one another? Can we have hearts that will allow us to live a life as honorable as David is living? You might say, well, wait a second, Pastor. You know, David has the anointing, and David has the Holy Ghost. You got the anointing and the Holy Ghost too. So put that to the side. Uh-uh, no, you can't use that. God's prayer. Jesus prayed that we would be one. Why don't you make a decision tonight? to be the answer to God's prayer, to Jesus' prayer, excuse me. Why don't you determine that you're not going to let anything separate you from your brothers and sisters in Christ, that you're not going to let anybody tear your house apart by coming into your house and telling you something about your wife or your husband or one of your children 
and allow them to separate you. Now, I'm not telling you to endorse nothing wrong. No, I'm not. But if they're bringing you a report full of garbage, or if they're bringing you one of them reports of criticism, uh-huh, well, baby, pray for them. Because I'm going to be praying for them, too, and we'll sit down and we'll talk about that. But uh, you ain't getting between me and my husband. You ain't getting between me and my wife. You're not getting between me and my family. No. Somebody come tell you something about your pastor? You tell them, are you praying for him? Well, then take that and put that in the garbage can. And if you need to get in the garbage can with that garbage that you then put it in, you get in there too. And then you go and you lift your pastor up in prayer. You lift you lift your, your deacons and and your 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 elders up in prayer. You don't like that usher at the door? Pray for him. Love on him. Oh yeah. But be as one. Purpose in your heart. Purpose in your heart that in 2017 that we are going to be as one. Well, I should be coming to the end right now, and I want to pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you tonight, and we thank you for all that you have done for us. We bless you and we praise you, for you are good, and your mercy endures forever. We ask, O God, that you right now would, would be in the midst, and that you, O oh God, would, would lead us and guide us as one. Lead, lead us into unity. God, show us our errors. We ain't asking you to point out what somebody else is doing wrong. Look at us. Search and research us. Tell us what we're doing wrong. Tell us what we're doing to promote disunity, and then teach us how to be unified. Oh, God, even as we come to you tonight, we repent of everything that we have done that has brought about disunity in our homes, our communities, on our jobs, in our churches, families. We repent of that right now, and we turn toward you. Teach us how to love one another. Teach us how to be committed to one another. Teach us how to be concerned for one another and to show our love for one another. Oh, God, it's sometimes difficult to love certain ones, but you can give us the grace to do it. If you can, can make, make David have a heart that loved old mean schizophrenic Saul, then you can give us a heart to love those people around us who are some seemingly unlovable. God, with you all things are possible. And so, Father, we come to you confessing that you are going to make us bring us to a place of unity. We bless you and we praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope you enjoyed the opening. I know it was kind of long. I know it was kind of uh, rambling, but it was necessary, and it's, it's necessary for me to get better at, what, at, at using the new systems that I'm putting together. You know, it's always something new, and I'm going to get better at it. But what I want to do before I leave is I want to give you a blessing for 2017, just like, you know, I blessed all of 2016. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. We extend that blessing to you and to your family, to all who claim the name of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have just a wonderful, wonderful evening. I want you to go back and I want you to study um, that that passage. Uh, I want you to listen and see what the Lord is saying concerning unity and the other things that happened in this passage that maybe you know I just didn't cover off on that God wants to speak to you about individually. You have a wonderful, wonderful evening, and I will see you next week um, in Chapter 2 of Second Samuel, and we'll continue with the theme of unity. God bless you.